Um, and tonight we want to spend some time in our, for 20, 30 minutes digging into how we discover what uh, God's call is for us. How, how, how can we serve Him better? How do we know what our place is in the body of Christ? And so we want to dig into that a bit t- t- tonight. Um, you know, we talk about the three great needs of man to be, belong, and do. And sometimes our, our emphasis on the being and belonging gets the, the doing side neglected. And we want to say, no, 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 that's very much part of it. I mean, Ephesians 2 verse 10 says that after that passage about for we are saved by grace through faith, then he goes on in verse 10 to say, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for a life of good works that he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So God's got a particular plan and purpose for your life um, as a result of your salvation. So we are saved because we are loved by God, saved but in such a way that we can express our gratitude for our salvation by serving. So the, the serving is very much part of this. In fact, the Greek word for his workmanship is directly translated a work of art. So tell your neighbor you're a piece of art. <laughs> Uh, uh, some people are modern art some people are uh, classical art (laughs) abstract art (laughs) tell your neighbor you're abstract (laughs) how are you kidding anyway uh, we we have a a, 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 I want to share some thoughts with you about that tonight then we're going to take you through a small exercise that you can can take and do some homework I know you don't like homework but I'm going to encourage you to do homework because this is a very important part of your life. Part of the homework will be tonight to be before God as we worship, as we wait on Him to receive prophetic words. But um, I'd like to just share vulnerably with you. If I look back over the years, uh, Colin and I have been 39 years in this church. We are nine years in, in Methodist ministry before that. That's the duration. So uh, what we're sharing with you, what I'm sharing with you, comes out of the crucible of, of some of that. And I think the costs of leadership... Um, have zeroed in, zoomed in on three particular things that I think as I look at leaders around the nation as well and other nations where we serve, um, of uh, the capacity to, to carry criticism, to endure criticism. Have you ever been criticized for anything? You know what I'm talking about, hey? Uh, if, you're, if you're not secured in God, if you're secured by the validation you get from, from ministry or what you do, criticism will always become deeply offensive to you. And so we've learned over the years to take criticism as a constructive contribution to us being even more fruitful than we were before. Um, but of course, it sometimes can sting. Huh? Uh, so it's very important for us to determine whether we're doing ministry or we want to accomplish something in order to idolatrously validate ourselves. Then that's negative. That's not a good reason to want to do ministry. Uh, Jesus spoke, as Ricky preached this morning, about the Pharisees. They, they did what they did, their good works, to be seen of men, to be validated by men. Huh? So I want to say, watch out for that. And you only manage criticism if your validation doesn't come from men, women, but from God. The second thing is fatigue. Anyone, anyone been really tired? Huh? Like tired to your core. And um, I found myself I won't sing it to you, know, but in my sleep, singing a song last night, <laughs> in my sleep, <laughs> about Isaiah 41, eh? 30, verse 31, eh? about uh, they that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength, they'll mount up with wings like eagles, you know that, that beautiful, and we sing it, um, 
and uh, they shall run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. And, uh, you know, if you're going to go the long haul in leadership, you need to learn how to wait on the Lord. It's so important so that your, your fatigue factor doesn't overtake you. Hey? So watch out for the criticism factor overtaking you. Uh, because you haven't uh, been validated by God, watch out for the fatigue factor overtaking you because you haven't spent time waiting in His presence. So for me, one of my saving graces, the first six years that we lived in PE when we planted this church from January 85, was to spend time in the, on the, the PE golf course. I used to walk there with my prayer. Th- I, I, I walk and pray. I know Val does this pretty much the same thing, I think, too. I, I pray better when I walk. Yeah, I know Rob, Rob Barris does pretty much, too. He walks up and down, you know, he's praying all the time. <laughs> I've been talking about walking the golf course and praying, dodging the balls, um, praying. And, but uh, then when I moved across the Warmer Heights, we sold that place, moved in here, and uh, I said, Lord, where can I go pray? And he led me to a cave that I go and pray not far from here. Some of you have been with me to, to my prayer cave, and I have some lovely times with God in that prayer cave. And I found that there's times alone with God, or sometimes I take my tent and I go up in the mountain sogs back, or just recently I was up at the farm up in your cookhouse where we have these Khoisan people. I take my tent and my truck and just go out and camp in the bush there and just spend time alone with God without the... Uh, interferences and distractions that can sometimes rob us of our time with God. So Jesus did that, hey? He'd go out all night or go early morning, long two, three hours before others wake up, spend time in God's presence, and that, that offsets the fatigue factor. The third one that I think is important for us to be aware of is the isolation you can feel in your ministry, the, the, the loneliness that can sometimes, because especially if it's leadership, and we're talking about call to lead, um, we do believe in leadership. We believe in, in consensus seeking, in a team of people, but there is a leader to the team. Uh, and that's not, uh, those of us who have been in the vineyard a long time, you understand, it's not top down, it's not pyramidal, it's not like the leader is sitting on the, on the top and dictating to everybody, nor is it a democracy where the people are at the top and the leaders at the bottom being dictated to by everybody. Um, it's an arrowhead leadership. So there's a point to the error. And sometimes because of the call of God that's on your life, the purpose you need to accomplish, sometimes that can be a lonely, a lonely point. So I've always been very grateful for those who've been faithful confidants and will allow uh, debrief moments. And, and, uh, and we've intentionally tried to do that in relational ways, but it does come at you sometimes, the isolation factor in leadership. Um, I'm, I'm trying to keep this as brief tonight as I can, but I think the number one thing I want to say to you, if you want to aspire to respond to a call to lead, this place to start is with yourself. If you're going to rise up and serve in any level of fruitfulness, the first thing you must do in the morning is make your bed and have a cold shower or jump in your pool. <laughs> Get yourself together. Get yourself together and um, take responsibility for yourself. You can't lead the household of God if you're not leading your own personal household, huh? brush your teeth, wash your face. You know what I'm saying? Just some basic stuff. Just take charge of your life. Before you want to be trusted to do things for others' lives, fix your own. Mow your own lawn. Huh? Fix your gutters. Feed your dogs. You know what I'm trying to say, guys? Fix yourself. Lead yourself. Um, this is so important. Um, Robert Murray McChain, a great missionary who died in his late 20s, believe it or not, I think 27 or something like that. That was the length of his life. But I'll never forget one of the, and it impacted me years ago, and I actually had someone leave the church when I quoted this, so let me just quote it again and see who's going to leave. <laughs> Robert Murray McChain said, my people's greatest need is my personal holiness. 
and it's premised on, uh, on, on Matthew 5, 48. Jesus says, be whole, even as your heavenly Father is whole. And it's a holiness that's described not by morality, but by, um, by wholeness, by uh, being a together person. Because the morality factor could just be an outward legalistic, pharisaical thing, but when you're talking about a wholeness of where your soul has been satiated in Christ, that's a different thing. And he said, what he was really saying is that my journey to become a person whose wounds have been graced is the most important thing for my people because that will have inspirational value to them. You see, what you deal with in your own soul becomes preparatory for the helping of others in the dealing with their soul. We'll come to that in a moment. Just, just hold on. So this lady left the church because she figured that, I want to say that the church depends on me. And it's not what I'm, I'm implying. But it does, if, if Paul is correct in saying, be imitators of me, Corinthians 11, 1, huh? as I also am of Christ. Is that elevating himself? Or is it saying, you can look at what God is doing in my life and let that be an inspiration to you. And that's what we were intending. So that's so important, eh? So we're not preaching something that we're not practicing. If ever you see us doing that, talk to us. Eh? We invite you to do that because we want to be consistent. What you see on the, out, on the outside should be the same as the inside. And uh, if God's going to build into our lives at all for ministry, then integrity is very important. And you know, integrity works like this. Before you put up a high building, you've got to go deep, deep, deep down in foundations. Eh? If you're going to be a tall tree that's going to catch the wind in leadership, make sure your roots are down deep. Eh? I want to say yesterday we had a couple of guys, Bo and 10 guys, eh? We cut trees yesterday for a whole five hours. <laughs> and we're pulling out roots because we're helping someone put a new wall around their property. And we had a team of 10 with five chainsaws. We had, we had fun. Dug down deep and opened up this place. But it made me realize that some of those trees had tap roots that go straight down. And they were able to go very, very tall. And it's like that in our lives. If you want to be tall and catch the wind. And by the way, leadership does catch the wind, eh? Tall trees, catch the wind. You've got to have deep, deep roots. That's, that's what we call integrity. So keep that in mind. Um, what, must you, what must you deal with um, as we just lay it out there? Um, number one, remember that our gospel is all about how God sets us free from the trap of sin. And the gospel of Jesus comes to deal with our sin in three ways. It takes away the penalty of our sin. Remember? By his stripes we are healed. He gave his life. He became sin for us that we could be delivered from it, that sin will no longer be our master. And I mentioned this morning, I feel like an urgency to say this again. Watch out for Israel's example to us. When they on that promised land journey, remember they came to Jericho and God gave them a particular strategy how to take the city and they honored the strategy to a T. And the walls fell down without a shot being fired, as, as we would say. And, and they had amazing victory, but they were told to, to not take anything for themselves. It all was devoted. It was the first fruits factor, the first city to be taken, and it was all for God. But there was a guy, Achan, remember, who, who took some. And when they went and did the next battle, a, a place called Ai, and I thought, this is a piece of cake. Look what happened in Jericho. Well, easy, take this place. And then the arrogance, they were defeated. And then Joshua realized they'd been sinning in the camp. And the nation suffered the consequence thereof. Um, and so they had to explore by divine revelation where the sin was. And Achan was discovered. And the devoted things were discovered, hidden away, tucked away under one of the sleeping places in their, in their abode. 
And, and it was a, a huge wake-up call. The nation has been called to, to transparency, to integrity. It's not unlike the early church with the uh, Ananias and Sapphira deal in Acts 5. Remember the story of the man and his wife who promised to give more than they actually then did? And they lied about it, and they dropped dead in the meeting. They, they normally read that scripture before we take the offering. They don't, <laughs> we, won't, <laughs> we won't do that tonight, just, just to say. Um, anyway, so the penalty of sin is dealt with, but here's the deal. That's, that happens because of the substitutionary death of Christ. When he died on that cross, it was vicarious. It was for you and for me, for our sin. He didn't have no sin in himself. So he paid a price for your and my penalty to be taken off. Listen to this. Your past sin. Can any of you remember sinning in the past? Hands up if you sinned in the past. Your present sin and your future sin. Eh? How many intend to sin in the future? No, I don't, don't put up your hands. But your sin has all been paid for. Isn't that amazing? Eh? Paid for. That's the first part of this, what the gospel does to our sin. The second part it takes away the power. It breaks the power of the sin. Sin will no longer be our master because the revelation of God's love fills the hole in our soul that drives us to compromise. And when you lean into the love of God, your tendency to want to reach for an addiction to cover your shortfalls falls away. So the addictive nature of sin is broken. The power of sin is broken. The more you lean into Jesus, that's true for me. I'm ongoingly being saved. I was positionally saved when I accepted Christ and what he did for me. And that's called justification for the theological ones amongst us. Um, the justification of, by faith. But I am being sanctified, becoming more and more like Jesus, believe it or not, by my leaning into the love of God. And when he showed his love to me like the Tennessee River experience that many of you have heard me speak about, and other times that his love just flooding my soul, I'm finding myself actually overcoming all insecurities, uh, all unfulfilled things that are, are, are yearning to be satiated in some way. And increasingly, Jesus becomes for me the bread of life and the water of life. Eh? Fills it all. Does it make sense? So we, the power of sin is broken by the love of God. So the faith factor leads to the penalty taking away. The love factor leads to the power being broken that we don't have to sin. Uh, that is what I taught us about that. The more we lean into that, uh, the Actually, the easier it is for us to overcome temptation because he is coming from a mile away. Because increasingly, we're in love with Jesus. And it's a love relation with God, not the coercion of merely accountable relationships, but the love relation with God that changes our hearts. It's very important to get hold of. And then the third thing that, that the gospel does for us, it, uh, it, it removes the presence of sin. Puts us in a place of eternal light in God's presence. And that's what the hope does for us. Because one day we'll have that in fullness. Good Methodists believe you can have it in this life. and uh, Hebrews 7.25 seems to indicate that because we have an intercessor. Jesus is interceding for us that we might be saved, as the Hebrews word says, completely. Hebrews 7.25, completely saved. However, I think, personally, if you claim to be completely saved, you probably aren't because arrogance would have crept in already. So just watch out for claiming it. But make it your aim like Paul did. This one thing I do. He says, I haven't achieved, but I'm pressing in that I may lay hold of all of that which Christ Jesus laid hold of me. He says it in Philippians 3, if you'd like to look at it later. Does that make sense? So, if you're aspiring to leadership, there's three areas that, uh, that these things need to be applied to. Your content 
of your understanding? Do you, do you have an understanding of the gospel? Can, can you articulate the, the, the gospel for your life, your content of your biblical truth? And so learn to love God's word. I've seen a, a number of people being rejuvenated by simply a fresh love for the word of God. It's his love letter to us. I've got a friend who leads a vineyard in Arizona um, who also came out of the hippie movement and had blown his mind on acid and all kinds of LSD in those days and drugs. He'd blown his mind. But somehow in the haze of it all, he met Jesus. He got born again, but got born again without a brain because he'd blown it on trips, hallucinations and stuff. And, and he realized that if he's going to serve the Lord, he better get a brain. So he had his brain rewired hard drive rewired, you might say, in computer language, by the memorization of Scripture. And he memorized chunks of the Scripture, chunks of the Bible, just were put into his mind to reprogram his brain. And uh, he leads a, a great vineyard there in the desert of Arizona, and a lovely, lovely vineyard, and a great, great leader in the national uh, movement of the U.S. vineyard. Um, we need to learn to love God's Word again. Huh? It helps us to orientate our content correctly. If you've never read the Bible from cover to cover, make that your aim. Read it before Christmas. You can do it. Five chapters a day. It'll take you eight months and you've covered six months the Old Testament and two months the New. You'll cover the whole Bible. You realize that in eight months you could read from cover to cover. Start with it. Just get an overview. Huh? It's an amazing thing to do. And then try and memorize one verse per week. One verse a week. It'll give you 52 bullets a year. Huh? To see the devil run, you've got to shoot him with a gospel gun. Huh? If you're not going to go out there with bullets, how are you going to do it? Eh? So that's the first thing, the content. Get your thinking straight. And the second thing is your character. Your character. And character is measured by how you relate. Your relationships are influenced by your character. Your EQ, as we would say in psychological terms. What's your EQ like? Can you manage crucial conversations? Can you, can you engage with people who are different from you? Um, do you do that? How, what's your EQ like? Can, are you all defensive or are you accusative? Can you, can you work with a good EQ? Huh? Uh, and and can you, part of your EQ is a capacity to love, but also to love in truth. Because that's what um, Ephesians uh, 4 is all about. Huh? It says that the body grows as we speak the truth in love. So being willing to be a whistleblower is part of your development of, of maturity. Does it make sense? Think about that. Uh, it's part of your ministry. Because if you're going to be in ministry, whatever level, it, uh, there'll, be, there'll be opportunities for you to both love people and deliver truth. You'll have to embrace them. You also need to blow the whistle on some things that should not continue. And then the third C, because it's three C's here, your content, uh, your, your character, and then your charisma, your gift. What is your gift? And let your gift make room for you. Because as I said a week or two back, as water flows out of a mountain and, and finds its own stream, the stream that comes, the, mount, the water comes from the mountain, but the stream is shaped by the water itself. Your gift makes room for you. So it's important to, to uh, let your gift make room for you. Don't demand of, of others to make the room. If you really have a, a heart to do something, just get out and as, as Nike says, just do it. Eh? That's the gospel of Nike, huh? And, and you d let the water flow. Um, if you have a gift to be evangelistic, well, start engaging people evangelistically. You don't have to be part of an organization to do that. You can, the organization will come. Uh, embryonically, it grows with who you are, and it becomes more than that and develops a pattern. 
So uh, what I'd like to do is take you through, can we, uh, Ellie, you're going to help me here. You're going to help me too, crew. Just uh, and everybody one of those. Thanks, man. I want to take you for a few minutes through uh, a, uh, uh, a summary of uh, factors that will lead you to discover your um, grace-based ministry, a ministry that is not setting out to prove yourself to God, but because you accept it in God through Jesus. So it's grace-based. None of you needs to lead in order to impress God. We're not to doing this to be impressed, to impress God. Uh, God wants to love on us anyway. And uh, uh, as I looked, uh, I looked at this over the years, um, I identified these, um, these eight signs, uh, signposts that will help you find your way to your ministry. I'd like to take you through them for a couple of minutes, and, and then we'll uh, move on. And, and under each one, there's a, an opportunity for you to do some homework. That's the homework I was referring to, to make some notes on each one. And in the course of the next few days or weeks, uh, it'll become clear to you what God's call is in your life. Um, <clears throat> Are you with me so far, guys? Does it make sense so far? <laughs> Let me say it's nice to have Peter and Gert here tonight from Impact Vineyard. Great to have you guys. Are you still waiting for that thing? That it's come through. That's fantastic, man. That Impact Church that's become Vineyard is renting the uh, Nazarene Church in Mangal Park. So there'll be a new vineyard just down the other end of the William Offit. So it's going to be absolutely awesome. Man. Give them a hand, man. Bless you guys, eh? Sorry if I put you on the spot with that, Peter, but uh, <laughs> we want to celebrate. Yeah, your victory is our victory, eh? and that's a lovely provision from God. Okay, so on this page, 1 Corinthians 6 verse 1 speaks in a summary of that. In my paraphrase, would be, don't waste the grace. Don't waste the grace. When God has given you grace and capacity to carry his life and love to others, don't waste it. Don't park it away. Don't leave your light under a bushel, as they say, but bring it out. Eh? So that's the the premise of what I'm talking about, God hasn't saved us just as we can be wasted. Um, he's called us to serve in grace. Um, and this is how we can find out. In fact, Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2 verse 1, be strong in the grace of God. So I want to urge you to know that we're not needing you to do a service in order to get favor from God. It's because God has favored you. Tell your neighbor, you're one of God's favorites. <laughs> All right. So the charisma I spoke about earlier, there's a list of some of the places in Scripture it speaks about gifts. Corinthians 12 talks about the manifestation gifts, like tongues and prophecy and interpretation and, and words of knowledge and wisdom and faith and miracles and healings. Those are some of the, the uh, manifestation gifts. Um, Ephesians 4 talks about ministry gifts. Uh, the fivefold ministry, or however you'd, you'd cluster them, fourfold, some would say, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Uh, they have to do with positional uh, roles that will be fulfilled in the life of the building of the body of Christ. And then the Romans 12 has to do with motivational gifts, whether they're speaking gifts or serving gifts. So sometimes looking at the list of those gifts will help to clarify just what your gifts are. And, and we we have different exercises of like House Modified Questionnaire or the other one about finding your shape. There are different questionnaires that can help you discover your charisma, your gift. By all means, exercise those. But I want to say to you that if your gift is a gift from God, it will make room for you. 
There's a guy called Demos Shikarian. Some of you might have heard of him. He, he started the uh, Full Gospel Businessmen's Fellowship International in the States. Um, and he set up these great events and invited um, business people, CEOs and other workers from all sorts of levels to come to these events. And they would crowd in and have a wonderful time. And he'd have key, keynote speakers addressing them. It was an amazing time. And then um, it was a time when some, for some reason or other, a speaker fell through and he decided, you know, he's going to speak. So he spoke, but the meeting didn't really work. It just, uh, like sometimes the word you, you double down onto your beard and they fall down you on your chest. They don't really help anybody. And he said, Lord, what's wrong with this? Yeah, I am. I'm setting all these events up. And, um, and yet when I speak, it, it doesn't want to help anybody. And the Lord said, but you, your gift is the gift of what the Bible calls the gift of helps, facilitation. And that's not wrong. He says, it's, God said, that's what you need to do. And others must bring what they need to do. Some of those great preachers couldn't set up a meeting of three people if you asked them to. But they could preach to 3,000 because they have a different gift. And then he saw that. The lights went on. He wrote a book called The Happiest People on Earth based on his discovery of what, the joy that comes when you're operating within your gift mix. Yeah. Powerful thing. That. So we, we, we shouldn't, this hand should not be disdainful uh, of the left hand because it's the right hand or of the ear because it's, you know, the eye is not an ear and the nose is different from the mouth, etc. God's placed the body. Corinthians 12 speaks about that. Huh? Each member of the body has a particular function to fulfill. And God has cleverly placed the members of our body in the right place. Eh? Aren't you glad eh, that yeah. your, 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 uh, your ears are on the side, not the front, and your eyes are not on the side like a frog or something? Aren't you glad that God made you like you are? Okay? It didn't give you four legs, but two legs and two hands. God's, it's amazing how the body works, and same with the body of Christ. So not, not one part is more important than another. Your legs are not more important than your hands or vice versa. Every part is needed. So keep that in mind as we think about this. All right. So here we're going to go down this, this, uh, this little list of, of signposts quickly. Number one is your, this is, I think, the most significant part of the journey of discovering your, how you're meant to lead is your own healing experience, how, how God has worked in your life. In 2 Corinthians 1 verse 4, he says that we comfort others with the comfort with which we have been comforted. Proven, you guys went through divorce. Eh? And in the process of submitting it all to God and saying, Lord, what can we learn from this? They have now engaged in a divorce uh, care. That's what we call it, eh? divorce care. It's not advocating for divorce, by the way, <laughs> to make it clear. But it's advocating for us learning the lessons of how to do life well and how to recover from a divorce. And still have hope after divorce. Eh? And we do believe in the God of the second chance. That's another whole subject about marriage, divorce, and remarriage. But neither is may. Here's the thing. They've taken the comfort they found in God concerning a painful experience in their own lives and said, Lord, how can we help others? What would you teach us about this? This is exactly what I'm talking about. You've gone through a depression. You've found answers in the valley of depression. Answers that have brought hope to you, restoration to you. You can help others with that. Eh? If you've been through a bankruptcy, a financial chaos situation, but, and in the process of that valley, sometimes the best lessons of life are learned in the dark night of the soul, on the valleys of life. When you learn those lessons deeply because of business collapse or a betrayal of a friend, whatever's gone down, turn your losses into gains by not wasting the grace that God gives you to come through that thing. Eh? 
that make sense? How many of you think you're a little bit older now than you were a year or two ago? Huh? You think so, huh? <laughs> Here we go. Oh, well, here's the good news. Um, you've never been this age before, but you learned something a few years ago that helped people that you can help people with who are in that age still, huh? Think about it. There's so many things in life where you can learn lessons that can be turned into gain for others. Huh? So many experiences. So that's the first point. We say. What have you been through? Did you lose a child? Have you, had a, have you had a delinquent teenager in your life? Have you had crazy parents in your life? How did you cope as a Christian young person with crazy parents? I'm not talking about anybody in particular, of course, but <laughs> you know what I'm trying. You've gone through life experiences. God helped you, man. God really helped you, huh? I wasn't di di divert too much, but there was a girl who was about 17 years old. When back, this is years ago in my Methodist days. I was, I was involved yet to try and help us because her mother was off her head. And it's a long story short, we had professional people involved, social workers, psychologists, whatever. It was very clear that this mother needed to be taken away and put in a, 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 a place of mental health for a, for a chunk of time. And she was resistant, didn't want to go. So with the professional help involved... Um, we removed the girl out of the house. So the police had to be there for this protection, the psychologists, the social workers, and they, they forcefully took the mother away. One of the most traumatic experiences for me as a young pastor to watch happen. To think, God, have I got this right? Because here I'm, I'm, I'm changing a, a home situation. Very, very sensitive and complex. And she went screaming off um, under duress. But a year later... She got a hold of me. She'd come out of that whole experience, and she thanked me for saving her from herself. I learned so much through that. Sometimes love must be tough. Sometimes love must stand for things that others don't really want to get involved in. She was helped. The mother and daughter were, were reconciled in a beautiful new place of sanity. I am saying that sometimes we have awkward family members that are difficult experiences. But whatever you go through, whatever you go through, you can help others, eh? That's the first thing. So what's your life journey? What ways has God been speaking to you? Let's just, we, we talk about this as being wounded healers. The second one is Revelation 2 Timothy 1. Paul talks about the ministry that you have by revelation. Somebody, you had a revelation and aha moment. You suddenly saw something. When I saw on the Tennessee River the, the power of sovereign love, that changed my theology. It changed my mindset. It changed my, my personality. Everything began. And God said, well, it's begun to change, so you'll need to work out the implications. It took me another 10 or 12 years to process the, the implications of that and, and to live from a whole new mindset and, and, and move into an understanding of God as a, as a lover and not a bully. By revelation. So that, that has built deeply into us a conviction that church must be a place of love. It's a community of caring. Of, and so we, we, it's, it's a non-compromising position for us that church has to be a relational place. It's not a performance from a stage. So for us, membership is absolutely dependent on belonging. And you can belong even when you are impure and crazy. Because where do you find truth but in the belonging, huh? I mean, if you're sick, you've got to go to hospital. You don't get better first. You get, get to hospital where you can get the medicine and get the help and become. So church is like that, eh? Because there's, and the revelation, whatever revelation you have received, 
might be a revelation of financial provision. It might be a revelation about different stages of life uh, that you can bring help to others with. And there's so many things that you have the aha moment about teaching people how to fish instead of just giving them a fish because you, you help them sustainably. Colleen and I are going off to Kathmandu. That's where this one event's going to be. And the, the Canadian vineyards help the guys plant the vineyards in Nepal. Uh, one of the things they realize, that, that it's a very impoverished nation. There's so much um, uh, economic hardship that they needed to help them. Um, but they could help them with handouts, but it wouldn't have really empowered them. So they helped to build a hotel. One floor is given to the church meeting place and, and, and needs. The other floor is for all the guests. That's created job opportunities and income-generating capacity to support the church and the movement of churches in that. It's a wonderful thing. Eh? Just the wisdom of doing something sustainably. Eh? That's a, an aha revelation. Eh? What have you seen? Let me give you another quick one. I saw some years ago... Partly out of my disillusionment of, of my own experience in the dating scene. How many of you have ever been on the dating scene? You, you, know, you know somebody else who's on it, don't you? Hey? So, and realizing that dating as a world practices is practice for divorce, not for longevity of marriage. We have to change it. Because if dating creates license for, uh, for immorality, this is, this is a flirtation with lust, not love. If you sleep with someone that you're not married to, what you've got for that person is not love, it's lust. If you love them, true love waits. If you're sleeping with someone or uh, flirting with, with pornography and you're not married, uh, this is, a, this is a, a lust enterprise, not a love enterprise. True love waits. It's hands off until it's rings on. Does that make sense? Huh? And that's an aha moment that struck me. This is why when I did my studies, I did the doctor thing on this, but then I decided I've got to take part of this and just make it readable. And some of you guys got that little book called Let's Be Friends. I can't tell you how many people ask me, can we just change the title to Let's Be Special Friends? I didn't, we're not changing the title. Aha moments, revelation. So that's the second way you can find your, your, your direction for, for ministry. The third way is the burden. Exodus 3, God says, to Moses, I've seen the burden of my people. And Moses at the burning bush begins to, to buy into the burden of God. You know, you know your call by what burdens you. If you're sick and tired of the burden of poverty and, and you want to do something about empowerment, and this is the kind of thing, you lean into that. The burden of people that are... Um, that are not living in the fullness of God's provision. How do you, Chile, there's a passion for, for children coming to Christ, what we call the 1014 window, because that's the most significant age in which the gospel should be proclaimed and responded to. You know that 80% of church, long-serving church leadership uh, gotten saved in the 1014 window. Do you know, realize that, eh? the children's conversion to Christ prior to the onset of the, the confusions that can come in adolescence. Chile sees that, so she's given a life to, um, to that particular. She's caught the burden for, for gospel to come to young people. Hey? So what, what burden has gripped you? Think about that. What burdens you? There's so, so many applications, but the burden that God allows you to see. Uh, I, I remember yeah, I got saved in 1968, and 69 I went to high school. I was still in junior school, and I went to high school, and... Uh, uh, I, 
felt like such an indignation whenever I saw people being bullied. There was just something in me that I had a burden for people that were being bullied. And I walked into the change room one day and these guys had bigger guys. Everywhere was big in those days. I was tiny. <laughs> and, uh, and, and they were picking on this guy in the cloakrooms. And I walked up to him because I felt emboldened. Yeah, I was a, I was a, a Christian now, and I'm going to stand for the kingdom of God. So I came up to these guys and said, guys, 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 this is not right. Uh, they looked at me and picked me up and hooked me with my blazer on the hook. And I stood like a spider on the wall. I'll never forget that, that sensation. You know, I watched them. Uh, they made an absolute mockery of me. <laughs> but I, I, I often think back to that because you know, there have been many other times in my life God's called me just to challenge injustice. I just don't think it's right for people to be bullied. Eh? There's something about it that's just not right. So what is your burden? Eh? What gets you? I know there's some people that are burdened for uh, people that are left alone and uh, the burden of loneliness. I read an article of a guy who died in Germany living alone. They only found that he died about two years later. Nobody knew. They only knew the date he died because he was lying in his chair having had a heart attack or something with a newspaper of the day two years back. Still half a can of beer next to him right here, but nobody even knew him. Nobody missed him. Two years. Isolation of people, eh? What burdens you? What burdens you? People living in prostitution, people with drugs. I'm so excited about what's happening in Bloemfontein with this, new, with this wine press vineyard that's, that's being launched in Bloemfontein with Ravon and Candace Br- Br- Brinder. Uh, he was a drug addict, uh, had been in and out of rehabs. So the rehab that helped him was the one he's now employed by. He's working for a rehab center in Bloemfontein. There's drugs in the free state. Did you know that? There's nothing free in that state. Huh? And he was, he was helped by that rehab center and became a staff member. He, he's involved with running that, and now he's planning a church called Wine Press Vineyard to help people coming out of the rehab center to be able to find a way to go forward. So what, what's the burden that gets to you? Number four is the gift. I've spoken a little bit about that. What, what are you good at? What gifts do you have? Um, and what are your strengths? Uh, number, number five is... Your situational need. Because of the present situation you find yourself in, uh, needs present, and you think, I've got something that could help this need. It might be a short seasonal thing that for a season, Colleen and I, when we had our little kids, we were running lots and lots of parenting seminars and things because we were grappling with those truths ourselves and the application of that. And so we ran lots and lots of that. There are others that have stepped in and are running those things now. Seasonal for them as well. Okay? And sometimes youth ministry is like that. You're a season where that's something you need to be doing, and it's seasonal, and you see it. And for now, well, you've done quite a bit of that. From time to time, there have been seasons that this is what you need to do, and you've given yourself to it. So can you understand, it's not every ministry you've got to tie down for the next 50 years. Maybe it's going to be for five months or five years. There's seasons, eh? And you can go on on a season of things. So that's an important situational need. Um, Then the sixth one is prophetic. Paul talks to Timothy about that gift that he has um, that came by prophetic utterance, the laying on of hands and prophetic utterance. When you've had a, a string of prophecies being spoken to you and, and by diverse people and one after another, they all add up, you've got to take that as, by the way, primarily as confirmatory rather than initiatory of your own call. Huh? So that's an important thing. And of course, test all things, hold fast to what is good. Not even, don't allow yourself to be led by charismatic witchcraft, where someone speaks over you in ultimate terms. You need to 
test all things and hold fast to what is good. Number seven is desire. Don't you love that one? Psalm 37, 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Because when you delight in him, he purifies your desires. Eh? And that's a, a great thing. So sometimes you know what you need to do by, by what you want to do, what's, what's coming to you. Um, and your, your want to is awakened. It's what we call the Eureka Principle. What do you really want to do? Eh? Thinking a lot about that in these days because I know my time is, is uh, going to draw to a close in terms of positional leadership and they will, in, the, in the next hundred years it will come to an end. <laughs> I'm not giving away anything. Bring <laughs> uh, your speed, brother. Okay. But desire. I've got some things coming up, I think, being seeded and birthed. And the last one is the people. Um, a tree, Matthew 7, Jesus says, a tree is known by the fruit it bears. Eh? I might proclaim that I am an orange tree, but how come you're seeing so many peaches on me? Yeah, I get it. Somebody need to correct me, Dave. What do you think is orange is actually peaches? So start a peach factory instead. Yeah. Let the fruit, the effect of what you do and say and, and how you serve be a confirmation. Um, your ministries uh, are, are, are expressed in such a way that people are affected in a particular way. And uh, as we serve like that, we grow. I think we need to be willing to, to uh, serve in a way that uh, takes risks. Um, you may be rejected. Jesus was rejected. The very people that welcomed him at the beginning of the week, Hosanna, huh? blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, riding on his colt and he, whatever into town. And by the end of the week, they're saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Yeah. Let's stand together. I'd like to just make a closing statement to this message. Failure is being successful at the things that don't matter. Failure is being successful at the things that don't matter. Make sure your priority is seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things that matter will be added unto you in due course. Eh? But to become famous and to be pursuing the things that ultimately don't have eternal value is, a, is maybe a recipe for failure. Father, as we come standing for you, we want to we say that we are willing to be clay in the hands of a potter. You would take us and shape us. That we would find ourselves serving because of gratitude. Not because we're trying to get your attention, but because your attention is on us and we are so grateful. We've done so much, are doing so much, we can't keep it to ourselves. But come Holy Spirit, as we worship tonight, as we wait on you, Lord, would you speak to us? I pray for increasing clarity right across this room. There will be a sense of call in our lives. And we find ourselves responding to you, Lord. made reference to my experience at Tennessee River, just in a nutshell, as Nick was just saying, because maybe it's relevant, he feels that he's for somebody here today. Years ago, I went through a very difficult, challenging time in leadership, years ago, 
And then uh, I had a guy pray over me. I was visiting friends, and he said, uh, God's going to lift off you an orphan spirit. Coming from the background of a father who abandoned us with a suicide situation, that was quite significant for me. And then I was having this meal with friends in a restaurant in Tennessee. And the Lord said, we just leave this place. We're going to walk by the river. And he led me to put my hand in the water to stop the river. The river didn't stop, eh? The river's big. It didn't stop. But in that moment, I thought, like my, my mind was opened. God said to me, there's nothing you can do to stop this river. There's nothing you can do to stop me loving you. So I refer to it as the sovereign love of God. Some of you need to know that. The sovereign love of God. There's nothing you can do, God went on to say, to make me love you more or less. It's my choice to love you. When ministry flows out of that place, there's freedom. There's freedom. We don't minister to, to prove ourselves because God loves us. It's a transformative thing. Sovereign love of God. God wants to lead us into worshiping Him tonight around that. And we'll take time to pray for each other and, and respond. But I want, to, I want to invite you to just come before God and listen to His voice. Would you take and each of the pages you've got there, this place for you to do some homework. Would you, would you fill that in and find a friend, maybe in your connect group, find a friend you can talk to through in the next seven days. Would you do that? That'll be a great application of diligence. So, Lord, we thank you that we can stand here tonight and we can worship you. We can wait on you. And you can, you can speak to us. You can change the things that we've been focusing on that have been destructive. Lead us to new ways of relating and of doing life. And that we would be a blessing to others in Jesus' name. going to go into worship. I'm not sure. Uh, did you guys do the offering just now? I can't remember. I don't think I did. Did you do that? Not, not yet, eh? I, I wasn't listening, so sorry. <laughs> Why don't we, while we worship, as it just an act, um, part of your, just the first act of worship, because God has given to us. Let's give back to Him, eh? Freely we have received, so freely we give. And that relates to not just our, our ministries, but also our offerings. So I've got a basket is right here. We don't often get it, but in Africa, this is often how we do it. Take a moment during the first part of our worship. Just start your worship by, by making it an offering of some, some nature, whatever the Lord puts on your heart, into the, the basket that's in the front right here. To say thank you, Lord. Oh, I don't want, just want to worship you uh, with words, but with, with substance. And bring an offering unto the Lord. And we'll make sure this goes into our, our missions outflow towards the lives of others. And we'll continue to, to be leading worship. Thanks.